Welcome in. This is a brand new episode of 300 Yards to Unknown. I'm Rick Gaiman coming to you from Blue Wire Studios at the Win Las Vegas. And I'll admit it, I didn't really know what to talk about specifically. There's a lot going on in the game. There's a lot going on data-wise. I had five or six different ideas, and I left it up to you guys. I tweeted this out yesterday. basically said, choose your own adventure. Your options are, we'll talk about the latest with Liv and the PGA Tour. We'll talk about the pressers that we saw on on Monday and Tuesday of this week. We'll talk about any uh, outstanding changes that are happening in our game. Or you can get early Scottish Open JP McManus Open Championship stuff. And 59% of you said, let's go with the latter. So this will be just a conversation about what the next couple of weeks looks like competitively on the PGA Tour, but I cannot go without spending three minutes on the live situation. I'll just make it very brief for everybody. You know, this is, it's a divisive topic. Makes people very uncomfortable. I get it. There also, I saw a comment that said, oh, you used to be one of my favorite guys to listen to talk about golf. Now all you do is whine about live. And I thought, is that true? Do, do, do I whine, do I whine about live? Is that, is that a real thing? I don't think it is. I think I've been pretty fair that the format is okay. The format has room to be great, and I just don't love how these guys are acting and where the money's coming from. I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Also, um, you know, for those that don't want to hear anything about Liv, it, it, it's a bit unrealistic, right? This is like remove politics. Just remove all the politics in it. Our sport, which has been generally unchanged and untouched for the modern game, Uh, has a new rival tour. That's always going to be a big story. There is not an example of this in our sport or really any other sport. You know, the USFL does not even really consider themselves a competitor of the NFL, right? They play in the offseason. They know they're not going to get the best talent. They're not going to make as much money, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, That's not how Liv feels. They feel as if they are a competitor. So this is this is a big story just in golf. It's a big story in sports. Um, and then when you add in the wrinkle of the politics behind it, like it's going to be something that we're going to have to talk about. It, there, it's likely that never in my lifetime will there be another situation like this. So it's going to have to be talked about, and I know it makes people uncomfortable. So um, with that being said, we'll, we'll move on to some uh, different topics, and we'll get back towards... A little bit of tournament previews for this week and discuss what the next few weeks in our game look like. And we're going overseas, baby. So John Deere Classic, as you're listening to this, John Deere Classic uh, wrapping up the weekend of John Deere Classic. And it's going to be a very quick turnaround because Monday the 4th and Tuesday the 5th, televised golf with Tiger Woods. Ne- need I say anything more? I think that's good enough, right? I think you'll tune in. Tiger Woods. JP McManus Pro Am. This the story and the history of this event. It's so unique and fascinating. So this is a Pro Am that's being played in 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 Limerick, Ireland, two-day event, 36 holes. It was founded in 1990, so it's not particularly old, and they used it to raise money for charities and organizations in the local area. That makes complete sense. That's how a lot of these events end up getting started, and they only run this every 5 years, which is very unique. Usually, if you have an opportunity to do a little bit of a money grab, you do it every year, right? That's that's kind of the, the point. But um, an, an exclusivity 
level to it is that's once every five years, which I kind of love, right? It's it's much less frequent than the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup and major championships, uh, which means you don't get guys skipping it. When it's available to them, they take the opportunity. And the European Tour began managing it in 1995. And what it has created is a really great warm-up for the Open Championship. So there are a couple of ways to prepare for the Open Championship. You can go over and you can play the Scottish Open, which is next week, four rounds. Get get those in and, and be ready to rock and roll. But the J.P. McManus Pro-Am, because of its spot on the schedule, because of its location, gives you an opportunity to play two quasi-competitive rounds in the Open Championship, you know, Lynx-style golf, uh, get acclimated to time zones, get your body feeling right, but you don't have to go through the rigor of four competitive events at the Scottish Open. And don't get me wrong, the Scottish Open field is going to be awesome, but there are guys who don't want to play the week before a major championship, and they'd rather use this as a tune-up. The biggest of those names obviously being Tiger Woods, who... Looking back, I think correctly sat out the U.S. Open. That place, Brookline, the country club, um, it would have eaten him a lot, right? Just with the how thick the rough was and how brutal uh, some of the spots on that golf course were, it, very, very smart to get right, to give himself an opportunity for what a lot of us believed was his best major championship opportunity. And I would, I would have said that in January, that if Tiger plays any major championships this year, the Open Championship is going to be his best option. Not only is it at St. Andrews, which is a place he's had great success, but it's flat, right? St. Andrews is just like a plot of land, very flat, no elevation changes. You walk out, you walk in, no problems. Uh, he gets to tap into his creativity. And you knew, you know he's not going to play the week before a major, right? He's not. He doesn't have it in him. So he wasn't going to play the Scottish. So this is a really, really perfect uh, two rounds that he gets in, again, quasi-competitive, before he goes and plays the Open Championship. Looking back, setting the schedule, this could not have worked out any better. Love the way Tiger's trending into the Open Championship. And I kind of discussed this with Andy a little bit on Friday's uh, scramble. You have to like Tiger's chance. Like, if you said, is the Open Championship going to be Tiger's best finish in a major this year? The answer, the favorite has to be yes. For all the things that we already talked about, because he took the extra time off, this was always going to set up so well for him. And you imagine the longer we get removed from the accident and the rehab and all that stuff uh, continues to get stronger. So really, really bullish on, on Tiger's chances of at least putting four solid rounds together. Maybe it's T25, maybe it's T20, maybe it's T50 again. Maybe he misses the cut, I don't know. But pretty optimistic about the way this is setting up. This, this event, uh, the format is pretty interesting. So the professionals are going to compete in a 36-hole stroke play event. They're going to go out there and they're going to play their own ball and there is going to be a winner of this Pro-Am. Then each professional has three amateurs with him. So the teams of four play in a 36-hole Pro-Am net team event in a shamble format. So a lot to un unravel there. Shamble is um, you hit your bet. Everyone hits a tee shot. Then in this situation, the pro chooses what shot they play from there, or which, which is the second shot that they use. And then everyone plays from 
their own position or from that position going in and plays their own ball throughout. So basically it's just, uh, we're going to play from the best drive and then we're going to play our own ball from there. But the professional is the one who actually chooses it. He can choose his own ball or he can choose somebody else's ball. No matter what, the professional is always playing his ball. So if you yank one OB and your amateur teammates play one out of the middle of the fairway, uh, the pro's got to play his own ball. So that's how they keep the integrity of the professional leaderboard intact, which is, uh, I think it's good. I think it's smart. So then as you as you can imagine, pace of play is always a concern in a pro-am. What they, what they will do is uh, they put a max on this. So basically, it's a rule called par is your friend. Uh, a net par is the worst score an amateur can record. So if you are putting for a net bogey or hitting a pitch for a net bogey, they ask you to pick it up and move on. Keeps the pace of play up, keeps everything in line, no reason to be going out there and trying to make doubles and triples. The most shocking thing about this event that we're going to see Monday, Tuesday, we're going to have golf Monday, Tuesday, then because they're in Scotland, basically Wednesday night, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like basically it's going to leak into every day of the week. And then immediately we're going to go to open championship week. It's going to be incredible. We got to start getting our body clocks in line right now, right? We're, we're going to be all screwed up for the first couple of days. Let's get our body clocks in line. This field is unbelievable. Uh, and I don't know if it is just because of the tune-up or because of the charitable aspect or because JP McManus pays these guys. I have no idea. But this field is absolutely stacked. To put this into perspective, there have only ever been 25 men who have been atop the world rankings the official world golf rankings. 25 different guys have ever been the number one player in the world. 13 of them are playing in this pro-am. Half, more than half of all the top number one, the number one players in the world ever are playing this event. Uh, the notables, Tiger Woods, John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Xander Shoffley, Patrick Cantlay, Sam Burns, Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, Colin Morikawa, Justin Thomas, need I go on? They're all here. The strength of field of this event is going to be out of this world. I'm waiting for Nosferatu, which is the guy on Twitter. Uh, I don't know his real name, but if you follow him on Twitter, which you should, tweets out all the great OWGR stuff, all the good strength to field stuff, Ryder Cup, President's Cup, all that fun stuff. Uh, I love it because he's seemingly like a wizard in the, in the spreadsheets. I'm sure he will tweet out what the strength of field is, and I bet you it's going to beat a lot of PGA Tour events or, or events in the world. It's going to be incredible stuff. Then you do get partnered with some uh, amateurs and celebrities, which the notables there are Bill Murray, who seems to play every single program there is on planet Earth, Mark Wahlberg, and Niall Horan, who I believe is a One Direction guy. I think that's right. Definitely a boy band guy. I'm pretty sure it's a One Direction guy. Uh, will also be playing. He's pretty good friends with Roy McIlroy. I imagine they are going to be on the same team, but this thing is going to be uh, the perfect appetizer into European golf for the next two weeks. And you're not going to be able to complain about the field. And you're not going to be able to complain about the golf course. Adair Manor is a manor, right? Obviously that makes sense. But the history of this place dates back to like before the United States was ever even a concept, right? It's like the 1600s. And there is actually references 
to manors in this area that date back to like the 13 and 1400s. It's, it's unbelievable. So it's essentially this huge castle resort that's now been turned into a hotel and they have a Michelin star uh, restaurant and it, it's just phenomenal stuff. The original structure was finished in 1700. Uh, the existing structure, the current structure, what it is now, completed in 1862. Uh, there are stay and play packages. I looked it up. They're not cheap. Not cheap. If you want to stay in the castle, it's like five grand a night. Uh, and then golf, I suppose, is included in that. And then there's some other ones where you can stay on other properties or other structures on the property. But uh, it's really crazy. It was J uh, the, the course wasn't even added until 1995. So the course has only been there for what, 25 years, almost 30 years. JP McManus, who I learned is a very successful uh, horse racing owner. He owns a big chunk of Manchester United, generally just a very rich, successful guy, uh, purchased Adair Manor in 2015. And then the course was redesigned by Tom Fazio. It's hosted the Irish Open in 20, 2007, 2008, and will host the 2027 Ryder Cup, which I think is going to take place in 2028. I forget. It's either going to take place in 27 or 28. When we delayed it a year and we got off track, uh, it got pushed back a year. So I don't, I can't remember if we're on evens or odds at the moment, but whatever it is, it's like 2027 and 2028 is, is the Ryder Cup year. So um, going to be absolutely awesome. Very much looking forward to it. And again, as I said, a great appetizer into the Scottish Open. Okay, so we go from Ireland to Scotland. That's how that works. And with uh, new co-sanctioned status, this is a co-sanctioned PGA Tour, DP World Tour event. There are now a few of those. Uh, Barbasol is now one, and I believe, oof, I want to say Barracuda is the other one. So there's going to be, I believe, three co-sanctioned events for this year. That is part of the continued and increased uh, alliance between the PGA Tour, which when when it was announced that this event was going to be co-sanctioned, the alliance was only like a 15% ownership stake from the PGA Tour into the DP World Tour. That has now been up to 40% just in the last week or so. So that co-sanctioned partnership, elite, uh, strategic alliance, getting stronger and stronger as we go. And with that being said, the live golfers are not allowed to play this event. Right? That's, that's also part of the deal. The, the PGA Tour... Uh, doing their very best to make sure the live golfers are not going to accumulate OWGR points on their watch and they will not be allowed to play in the Scottish Open. I imagine there's eventually going to be lawyers involved in that, right? Do they have the right to do that? Who says I, there, there's going to be a lot that, uh, that, comes, that comes into play there. But that means FedEx Cup points are going to be rewarded because this is a co-sanctioned event. And as usual... The, the John Deere Classic and the Scottish Open are your last cracks to get into the Open Championship. So there are going to be three spots reserved for guys that are otherwise not qualified for the Open Championship to get themselves in. So you're playing for glory, you're playing for money, you're playing for FedEx Cup points, you're playing for everything. It's going to be a blast. I hope they have data, right? As a guy who gets the official data from the PGA Tour, I imagine I'm eventually, I'm going to get something from the Scottish Open, but are... So are we, are we going to have shot link? They've taken the lasers over there. I would guess no, but I'm hopeful that I'm wrong. Uh, generally, they don't travel that far with those, but we'll see uh, how it shakes out. Or actually, I guess the DP World Tour has been calculating 
uh, strokes gained like that in the last couple of years. So maybe they'll share the data. I don't know. We got a lot to figure out. It's a brand new event in the way that it's formatted. It's not a new event, but now that it's a PGA Tour event as well. What I find so fascinating uh, is that this is also one of the elevated events on the DP World Tour. And technically speaking, the guy who leads the DP World Tour rankings right now is Will Zalatoris. And you might be looking around saying, well, Rick, uh, Will Zalatoris hasn't played any European Tour events. And you'd be mostly right. Hasn't traveled to Europe to play in any events, but the co-sanctioned nature of um, of major championships, of, uh, of, of match play, have allowed Will Zalatoris to actually be atop the DP World Tour rankings. So he's got four events played this year. Four. A runner-up at the U.S. Open, a runner-up at the PGA Championship, a T6 at the Masters, and a T5 at the match play. That's a lot of points. And it's enough to be ahead of guys that play primarily on the DP World Tour. Thomas Peters is really the next highest ranked guy. I think he's third or fourth uh, in the rankings that plays primarily on the DP World Tour. He's got like 18 events played or something like that. So Will Zalatoris is trying to do what Colin Morikawa did, right? Colin Morikawa uh, last year led the DP World Tour rankings going into their final event, going into their finals. And that was the only event that he flew over there and actually, you know, like, played as a regular DP World Tour event and tried to win tried to win their uh their championship in that way. So I imagine uh, especially if if the Scottish Open goes well for Zalatoris, which I'm pretty sure he's in the field and uh continues to play well at major championships, he is going to be making the trek over to play the tour finals on the DP side. The course, the Renaissance Club. Let's go. Let's go. We've played the Renaissance Club each of the last three years. Again, this, this event has existed. This is the National Open for the Scottish. So just in the same way that you have the U.S. Open and the, and the Mexico Open and the Canadian Open and the Irish Open, yeah, we've got the Scottish Open, and we're going to get the British Open. <gasps> Can I say that? The Open Championship as well. So this is, this is all the national championships. It's happening. It's happening. Uh, so this has been going on forever. But the last three years at the Renaissance Club have produced uh, three winners you should know. It's not like these events are tiny events. You get a lot of guys that go over to uh, partake before the Open Championship. It generally cr creates a fairly strong field. I'll give you the strength of field numbers here in just a second. But Minwoo, Minwoo Lee, your defending champion, 2021. Aaron Rye won it in 2020. And Bernd Wiesberger took it down in 2019. Fun fact about all of those, they went to a playoff. Each and every one decided in a playoff. Uh, so four years now, we're going on the fourth year at the Renaissance Club. We'll see if that also goes to extra holes. It's going to play to a par 71, 7,293 yards on the scorecard. Obviously, can fluctuate each day. Um, and it includes five par threes. Three of them are over 200 yards. Four par fives, all between 460 and 600. And then nine par fours with one, two, three, four, five, six of them being over 464, getting into some pretty decently long par fours. So um, as much as I don't necessarily love those stats, because there's so many of them and because um, those are some pretty hardy par fours, we'll probably take a look at those numbers over the course of the week, see which guys are best suited for those types of holes and just absolutely expect a massive strength of field number. You know, you start looking through the guys that are teeing it up and it's 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 really a who's who at the Scottish Open. Um 
and the field is is mostly set. They're saving a couple of spots for uh, you know, winners of of the Irish Open and and we've got a couple of days left for getting this all or by the time you listen to this, the field will be set, I suppose. But um there still are a few spots available that will be cleaned up early in the week. But the field is likely to surpass the strength of field that we had last year. Last year, the strength of field was 424 when Minwoo won it. It was 309 in 2019 when Wiesberger won it. And 2020, that's obviously a, a year with travel restrictions and not letting guys get there. It was only, quote, only a 190. To put that into perspective, the John Deere Classic was a 54. So even in a year where travel was restricted, the 2020 Scottish Open field was four times stronger than the John Deere Classic field from 2022. The notables, the guys playing the best, uh, last 50 rounds going into the Scottish Open. Again, it's a who's who. Scotty Scheffler, Justin Thomas, Xander Shoffley, Will Zalatoris, Cam Smith, John Rahm, Patrick Cantlay, Matt Fitzpatrick, Sam Burns. We're just seeing these guys. Like, they're, everybody's going to be there. Just everybody's going to be there. We've seen some of these guys go over there before. Scotty Scheffler played it last year, finished 12th. Justin Thomas played it in the two years he could get there, 2021, 2019, finished top 10 in both of those. Xander Shoffley posted a top 10 last year. So we have seen these guys go over and take in the opportunity to, uh, to play the week before the Open Championship. So just looking at golfers who are going over, who are who have played at the Renaissance Club? Because you can look at Scottish Open history on the Holy Grail at RickRunGood.com. You can go and I mean, there's European Tour data, there's Live data, there's Corn Ferry, there's Champions Tour data. So you can look this up. But I would just use the last three years, 19, 20, and 21, to get access to the Renaissance Club. Or you could sort by course. There's only a handful of guys who have played two out of three or three out of three years during that stretch. So. Of guys who have played at least twice, Justin Thomas has the best results. He's gaining two and a quarter strokes per round over eight rounds. Minwoo Lee, obviously with a victory, is up there as well, uh, 2.04. Tommy Fleetwood, eight rounds, 2.04 strokes game per round, doesn't have a win. Uh, Eric Van Royen, also over two strokes per round. The only guy who is gaining more than two strokes per round who has played at least three times, or all three years, the Renaissance Club, it's Ian Poulter. Although, I believe he is banned from this event. So, I don't think we're going to have to worry about that because Poulter is now a live golfer and uh, he is not going to play in this event. So, what are we going to look for for this week? A couple of items. I do think that Renaissance Club history is going to be important, obviously. And especially because we have just enough of it. You know, if we had one year, I'd probably throw it out the window. If we had two years, I'd start to get a little more excited. Three years starts to be the sweet spot. Three consecutive years at the same golf course with similar-ish type fields and a similar spot on the schedule, great. That starts to become valuable data. So we're certainly going to look at that. Um, I will put a little bit of, of attention towards those longer par fours, 450, and up because uh, there's so many of them. We'll keep a close eye on that. But you do get access to four full par fives on a par 71 setup. So you could look at par five scoring or you could say, well, there's five par threes. Let's look at par three scoring. So what I'll probably do is run a couple of models with recent form, course history, but also 
a weighted breakdown of that bucket structure. Somebody remind me of that on Monday when I do the show or on Wednesday during the live show. Um, I'll do a weighted weighted scoring average from par three, par four, par five, and see what we come up with. I think that's going to be important. Also, you're going to hear a conversation around, are these guys just looking for a tune-up heading into the Open Championship, and are they taking this seriously? I think we can retire that narrative. There have been few golfers in history who have had the luxury of being able to take an event as big as the Scottish Open and using it as a warm-up. And I think the list might be Tiger Woods, right? Of guys that have been willing to do that and have kind of told us they are doing that. There's always been, and maybe it's not necessarily for the Open Championship, but there, there has been plenty of conversation of Tiger going out, you know, playing before the Masters and saying, uh, you know, I just went out there and hit some shots that I that I know I, I'm going to try to hit at Augusta National. We've had like nobody else ever say that. So I don't think you have to worry about how seriously they're taking it. If they're there and they're playing, they're taking it very, very seriously. Uh, looking ahead, so so I guess I suppose there is going to be a pretty good connection to the odds that you get from the Open Championship and guys that have success at the Scottish Open because there's so many guys that overlap both of those fields. When we do get to St. Andrews, there is a chance that some of these markets are manipulated a little bit. So, for example, if, um, and I'll find a, a good example here. So I'm looking at the Open Championship odds. If Patrick Cantlay, who is 28 to 1, wins the Scottish Open, he will probably be 14 to 1 at the Open Championship, right? So there are a few golfers that I think you should consider looking at where if they're playing the Scottish and they have numbers that could move for the Open Championship that you might want to bet them for the Open Championship now which would also kind of say that you should also bet them for the Scottish Open as well. Because the way that their line is going to move for the Open Championship is likely with just victory. If Patrick Cantley finishes second at the Scottish Open, is his line going to move a lot for the Open Championship? Probably not, which is honestly a flaw in the way we treat wins. Right? If the guy, if the guy loses in a playoff at the Scottish Open, that is essentially winning in my eye. Like, he played well enough to win, in, at least in regulation. His odds should move whether he wins that playoff or not, but I don't think that's going to be the case. So there's an argument to be made that some of these guys who are playing the Scottish Open, who you might like for the Scottish Open, who are between 25, 50, and longer to one, if you like them now, you should bet them for the Open Championship and just try to lo- just a little bit, like a, half a, like a half a bet. Because what's also going to happen is if they don't eventually win, like if, if you if you like Patrick Cantlay right now and he doesn't win the Scottish Open, there's a chance that when we get a reset of odds on Monday of Open Championship week that you get a better number. You get like a 35 to 1 or a 33 to 1. So I would recommend half a bet now, complete it later, depending on the outcome. Uh, and then also hedge, almost semi-hedging it with betting him to win the Scottish Open. So the list of golfers that that includes are likely... Patrick Cantlay, Sam Burns, um, I suppose Tommy Fleetwood, right? If he were to if he were to win, I'm just trying to see who else stands out here. Those are probably the big ones. I think I think those are the guys that fluctuate the most. If Rory McIlroy wins the Scottish Open, 
his number's not really moving for the Open Championship, right? So I'm not I'm not too too worried about that. I'm worried about the second tier. And looking at some of the odds for the Open Championship in advance, I, I'm I'm going to uh, definitely be spending my my final Jordan Spieth, you know, bullet at a major championship. Uh, he's great at Open Championships. You get the the creativity. St Andrews should be a great spot for him. Let's go. Um, I, I wish there was no odds attached to Rory McIlroy because there is the, the only flaw that I've really seen in Rory McIlroy's game over the course of the past couple of weeks is he's had a couple of big misses with the driver uh, that have, that have posted really big numbers for him. You know, you look back at the travelers, he was like second in birdies or better. And he finished, I don't know, 30th or something, whatever it was. It wasn't very good. He just needs to clean up the big numbers. So the driver has put him in a situation where uh, it has cost him a big number or two as of late. And he even got away with it a little bit at Brookline. There were a couple of Saturday or Sunday, a couple of big misses that he got relief on both of them, which is not great. So he even got away with a couple of, of, of bad swings otherwise. The vast majority of bad swings that, that Roy McElroy has hit with the driver have been left. And you can miss left at St. Andrews. You can. You can, you can just miss. Because think about it, it, it. The course goes out and comes in. It is true golf, right? It is, it is how that was described. You walk out, and basically every other hole on the other side runs parallel to the left. And when you come in, same thing. Now you're going in the other direction. Every hole runs parallel to the left as well. You basically have double wide fairways left on every single hole. Missing left is not a problem. So, um, unfortunately, he's probably not going to get my money at 8-1, to one, but really love the chances for Xander Shoffley. Wow, that was subliminal. That I meant Rory McIlroy. Xander Shoffley's name came out of my mouth. Does that mean he's likely to win this major? Wow, that was bizarre, wasn't it? Uh, the fact that Xander's still longer than Matt Fitzpatrick and the same odds as Shane Lowry and Cam Smith feels a little bit disrespectful, doesn't it? Are, are we not going to give Xander the credit? of a Travelers Championship win when we've been saying he can't win a full-field cut event for th for five years? We're not going to give him credit for that one? Now he can't win a major? That feels a little bit curious, and uh, clearly he has a spot in my brain that uh, I cannot control, and he just comes flying out of out of my mouth a little bit. Um, looking at some of the live guys, they their odds are fairly long. Patrick Reed at 65-1. to 1. That'll get adjusted. He'll be like 80-1. to 1. By the time by the by the time we go off on uh, on Thursday of Open Championship Week, because even if he wins the Live Golf event, it doesn't matter. And then also he's not going to be able to play the Scottish, right? So he's not going to have a chance to really improve his number. So probably be waiting on all of those guys. I, I wish I could have been in on Webb. You know, unless he makes a run, you guys will know this by the time you listen. Unless he makes a big run at uh, the John Deere, I. I I wish I would have been more impressed with his game. Maybe he does, and maybe we can bet him here, but that's that's a little bit worrisome. Um, trying to see who else here moves the needle for me. Nobody yet, and I think for some of these guys, we're going to get that reset. St. Andrews and the 150th Open Championship is going to be awesome, and there are a few things like that Thursday night morning slash thing, right? Where for you guys on the East Coast, it'll probably, coverage will probably start at like 3 a.m. or something like that, right? Maybe 
So if they tee off at 7 a.m. local, that'll be like, yeah, 2, 2 a.m. Uh, on the East Coast, which means it'll be like 11 o'clock p.m. for me, which turns it into a bizarre week, right? You start chugging coffee at uh, 10 o'clock and then you watch the first couple hours and you try to try to grab a nap at like 4 a.m. and then you wake up at 6 and the round's over at 12 or something like that. So it's it's going to be an experience that we get and reminder that like, all these major championships happen so quickly. You get four in the span of 120 days, not even 90 days, something like that. And then you don't get another one for nine months. So when this open championship wraps, it's going to be nine months until the Masters. And a lot's going to change between now and then, right? I'll just end with like my final thoughts. Like the open championship is going to mark a very interesting inflection point for a couple of reasons. And I, and I don't even think I'm overstating it that it's going to be like a pretty significant inflection point in our game because here's the things that could happen. Uh, likely after the Open Championship, there will be more guys who leave the PGA Tour and go to live golf. That is likely. Uh, and the reason they haven't announced it yet, they want to get through major championship season without any distraction or without any issues. Okay. Then I think there's going to be another another situation at the Tour Championship where after the Tour Championship, more guys go over. And with Live Golf saying that they want to have the same 48 guys for every event next year means there's going to be a cutoff. So likely after the Open Championship and after the Tour Championship, I don't want to say it's set, but like the guys that are going to go are going to go. And the guys that are going to stay are going to stay. And it's probably not going to change all that much after that. But think about the time that's going to pass between the Open Championship and the Masters. Nine months is so long in the OWGR world, in the official world golf rankings, because the points only accumulate for two years. So if you go nine months without accumulating OWGR points, there is a chance a lot of these guys who are playing on the Live Tour are not getting points moving forward. And they're not going to play major championships moving forward. So this could be, and I don't think it's really drastic to say, and because we don't know what Augusta National is going to do. What if Augusta National comes out and says, the mockery that you guys have made of the game, we hate it. You're not playing. Now what? We don't even know what they're going to do. And they're rightfully waiting. They're rightfully playing the long game here. There's a chance the Open Championship is the last time we get everyone together for the foreseeable future. I don't think that's that drastic. It sounds super drastic. I don't think it is. Because if um, Brooks and Bryson and DJ and Answer and all these guys who are over there drop 60 spots or 70 spots in the world rankings before April, which is kind of likely unless they're going to grind Asian tour events, but they all told us that they want to play less golf so I can't imagine they're going to do that. And if they can't get in in DP World Tour events and they can't get OWGR points for Live Golf, they're going to drop 70 or 80 spots. They're not going to qualify for major championships next year. There's a real, a real chance the Open Championship is the last time we all get together of this current crop of the best players in the world. Eventually, if Bryson, like, if Bryson falls out of the top 100, we don't see him at major championships anymore. Uh you know, he will be replaced, right, with other guys that are now the best in the world. 
or what we perceive to be the best in the world because we have context to how they're competing. So he'll be replaced. But for the current crop of golfers that we know, I think we have four days with them at St. Andrews, and there's a really good chance it doesn't happen again. Now, DJ playing the Masters, sure, because even if Augusta National lays out a ban, which I don't really expect them to do, DJ's, what are they going to do? Say, hey, you have this uh, you have this qualification for life, but we're going to take it away from you? That seems tough. Uh, what about what about Brooks, who's already qualified for the PGA and the U.S. Open? Like, we will see guys in other places, but I think as a whole, there's a really good chance the Open Championship is it, which is sad, right? You don't want the game fractured. For all the people who think I, like, want to see the live golf thing just collapse upon itself, and these guys never, like, that's not the case. I want the best guys playing all together and competing against one, one, one another every single week. And they're going to continue to do that at majors, but this might be the last major. So I'm going to enter next week because it starts next week. It starts with the JP McManus. It goes to the Scottish. It goes to the Open Championship. I'm going to start next week with that perception that this is going to be the last time. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but lots of good stuff coming and probably at different times because uh, I'll be getting my body acclimated to Europe. So we'll see how that goes. That'll be fun for everybody involved. Um, that's a joke. It will not be fun for everybody involved. Oliver and I will be spending many late nights on the couch. That'll do it for this episode of 300 Yards to Unknown. I don't know what we're going to talk about next week, but it'll be fun. See you then. Good luck.